Good evening, everybody. We are here once again for our first edition of Q&A for this fourth month. April is here. My wife turned younger by one year. Hallelujah. Praise God. And she has no questions because she says, after Christ, she found the answer in me. Hallelujah. So she Praise has God. no questions. She'll, she'll smack me when I get home. <laughs> but that's another answer. <laughs> so, so Hallelujah. here we are. Uh, we just thank God. God is in heaven. Even if everything is not well on earth, hmm. God is in heaven and it is well with our souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Everybody yes. around the world, whatever you're going through, like David did, encourage yourself in the Lord. In the Lord. Yes, Lord. Don't look to the west, you will see Biden. Don't look to the east, you will see Putin. <laughs> just look up, you will see Christ. <laughs> and you can encourage yourself in the Lord. <laughs> So this evening, before we start our Q&A, let's look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We will rejoice in the Lord. We choose to rejoice in the Lord. We choose to sing. We choose to praise. Because we know the law of the kingdom. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. And a merry heart is good medicine. Amen. So we just thank you, Father. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We just thank you. We come at this time, the questions we have, everything into the hands, hands of oh Lord. Give us the discernment, the wisdom to answer. And your children who are listening around the world, at the anointing also rest upon them as they're here. Teach us through even the Q&A, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Dr. Richard, welcome back. Hallelujah. For all around the world, Dr. Richard is back with us. This is our Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. Amen. <laughs> That's a question number seven for today. Start with question number seven. Seven, okay. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, where Jesus is talking about the judgment between the sheep and the goats, verse 32 says that it will be a judgment among the nations and he will separate one nation from the other as between sheep and goats. The sheep nations are inheriting the kingdom while the goat nations are condemned to eternal fire. Okay. Here are the nations being done, here are the nations being judged for their policies and attitude towards Christians in general. Many nations kingdoms have changed their attitudes towards Christians as time has passed throughout history. If the nations are just judged based on works or policies or attitudes of the nation, then do the sheep nations become co-heirs of the kingdom along with Christians based upon their works? I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not very sure. Theologians may have different take, but I don't think uh, we stand before God as nations. Mm. I believe we stand before God as peoples. And uh, leaders, when they're individually judged, if you're a political leader, you'll be judged for your policies. But I don't think nations will stand. India will stand before God as a nation and be judged because most Indians would have nothing to do with the policies of the government. Mm. Most of them wouldn't even know what the policy is, and they have no say in the policy. So I don't think it is talking about nations that way. Uh, but when political leaders are judged, they will also be judged by how they treated God's people, both Israel and uh, uh, the church. They will be, because they are the ones, the policymakers, who made those decisions. But I don't think... Uh, Personally, this is my take, that nations will be judged for their policies and attitude. Though at an individual level, if I stand before God as a 
person and if I'm anti-Semitic, oh. I'll be judged yes. for my attitude towards yes. people. Yes. Why did I hate, forget Jews, why did I hate anybody in the first place? And why the Jews? Because when um, anti-Semitism is demonic. Is demonic. Okay. It's demonic because the devil hates Israel, the devil hates the church. So, that will be, but I don't think nations will stand before God. Because, simply because the nations, most of the people in any nation, like let us say the war in Ukraine and between Russia and Putin, the Russians have no say in the war. No say in the war. They did not make that decision. The decision was probably made by one man and a few people. But after that, if you look at it, the propaganda machine goes in and the sanctions and Vladimir Putin's popularity in Russia has shot up to 82%. That's what happens during war. They shut down all the other news coming in and they tell everybody against us and the nation becomes one. Okay, so if things don't work like the news we think about, okay, people will become resilient and we decide to take the sanctions and the sufferings with it because nationalism comes in. It works both ways. But, no, so because they don't have access to information or the actual reasons. So I don't think anywhere, anywhere, uh, when Titus attacked Israel in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem, did the people of the, in the Roman Empire have any say in it? No, no it was Caesar's decision. And the soldiers follow. Okay, so that's how. So I don't, I, I personally feel that this is not talking about nations, but the leaders who are involved in those decisions, personally, when they stand before God, each one will be accountable for their attitudes, the advice, and the decisions they took. Yes, Pastor Vijay. I think there's a follow-up question to this question number eight has a similar theme. Okay. Speaking of God's ultimate judgment on people, corporately as cities and nations, mm -hmm. uh, as in Matthew chapter 20, 12, verse 41, and Luke 10, verses 13 to 15, mm -hmm. Jesus spoke of the men of Nineveh condemning Jewish cities like Bethsaida and Chorazin and cities like Tyre, Sidon, being shown more mercy comparatively. Will God be holding the citizens in these nations during the Dutch generation as passive accomplices towards an immoral and wicked rule during that time? See, um, see, if you look at, uh, if you look at Lot, he was not judged. He was not judged. He lived in a wicked city, but he stayed away from the wickedness. See, that's the thing, okay? We can be a testimony by just choosing not to be part of something. And that is, that is what everybody can be. Okay, you don't have to be part of anything. That itself becomes some, you, you don't have to be proactive and get onto the streets and get beaten up. I'm not talking about that. Sometimes you have to, but most of the times you don't have to. Your very uh, reluctance to be part of something itself is a voice. Mm. And that is what Lot did. He refused to be part of the homosexual culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. He refused to be part of it. And when it came to his door, he opposed it. He didn't go onto the streets and oppose it. Mm. But when it came to his door, he said, it stops here. It does not get in. It does not get in. Okay, but in his mind, he was kind of weird, compromised that he was willing to give his daughters so that the angels could be protected or the men could be protected. So slightly warped. That's what happens 
when you live in a country like that for monetary gains after sometimes you also get messed up in your mind. And that's basically what's happening around the world. Why have we lowered the standards in our own minds? It's because we are living in that culture and the culture is slowly permeating into our minds and our souls. When God says come out separate, the reason is that he says if you, if you are not separate from that culture and therefore that generation, he says, though I love you like my son and my daughters, you will not be able to experience it. Mm. Because you will only see through, see at, see me through those tinted glasses. That's the reason. See, God loves everybody. He so loved the world. And He loves every child in our church. The problem is not God's love towards me. The problem is I'm not able to experience mm. it. The reason I'm not able to experience it is because I am not separated from the culture. It's just, just simple thing about it. Pastor Vijay loves his children. Loves his children. And they go to school. When they go to school too, he loves his children. But if they physically want to experience the love of the father, they need to come back from school to yes. home. Yes. When they are separated from that and they come back and they are in his presence, they are able to really experience that love. Mm. Okay. Mm. So what is happening over here is what caused them to experience that love is that they separated from one thing and we're separated unto another thing. Mm. We are able to experience. And that's basically what God is talking about here. So you have the cities. And basically what he's saying over here is that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah never had the gospel preached to them. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. Okay, Enoch is a prophet of righteousness. Abel brought righteous Abel offered a sacrifice. Jesus says in Matthew 23, I think, 37. He talks about uh, Abel being righteous. Uh, Lot was righteous, but he neither brought a sacrifice, nor did he preach righteousness, nor did he have any prophecy. But he was just personally righteous. But the stand he takes is that he does not become part of that culture. Okay, So that's what we are looking at here. But since they did not have anybody preaching to them, speaking to them, on the other hand, he says, you have Jesus himself and all the prophets preaching in Bethsaida, Chorazin. See, we will be judged by how much we have heard and known. We won't be judged by like, you know, you won't give a class 10 question paper to a class 5 student. You won't do that. You will judge a class 5 student by what he has heard according to class 5 standards. So Sodom and Gomorrah will be judged by a different standards. How much of the light did they have? Very little. Bethsaida will be judged with a very high standard because of the light they had. Light that had. That does not mean Sodom and Gomorrah make it to heaven. It only means in hell the punishment will be less. Okay. Okay. When you go to a criminal court, you go to criminal court with the evidence against you. When you go to a criminal court, they will look at you if you're a first-time offender. If you're a first-time offender, they will reduce your sentence. Because okay, this is the first time. But the judge also may say, next time you come in my court, I'll throw the book at you. So be careful after this, how you walk. Okay, they will look at your age. Mm-hmm. If you're under 18, then you don't go to a regular court. You are treated as a juvenile. You know why? Because you have less light, less maturity. On the other hand, if you be in a professional thief, released from prison, got back into crime, your sentence will go up because you had much light. 
in the prison. You received much light. Don't do this, don't do this. You were sentenced, but again you went. That's what the Bible is talking about. And yet, during that generation, passive accomplices, stewards, and immoral and wicked rule during, it's not just that, you know. It's a very difficult, difficult, uh, let's say during, uh, during uh, Hitler's rule, during the Nazis' rule, what could the people do? We yeah. do not know. Yeah. We do not know the pressure they were under to, to go in with him or Stalin's rule or any rule in any country when it's actually out, outwardly and inwardly wicked and uh, people become part of that dispensation. And I, I, I don't blame the people so much. I blame the system that keeps that rule in place. Like if you look at China. China is ruled by the Communist Party. And every, if I'm right, every member of the army is part of the Communist Party. Mm. So the control is by that system. That system. And uh, they're all part of the system. Or you say a country like Myanmar, Burma. <coughs> the army is the one that is ruling. And what they do is that the the military, like in Pakistan, the army, the armed forces, are involved in everything, in the industry, in the crime, everything they are involved. And therefore, they will do everything to see their rule continues. Mm. So those are the accomplices, not the simple people. Mm. Those are the accomplices. They will have to pay a high price. And when they hear the gospel and believe the gospel, they have two choices. And depending upon how the spirit leads them, Either they come out and they get killed or they stay there quietly and help the underground church. So the two choices, I've seen it over and over again, two choices people have to follow. Either they, God says, stand out, come out, make a statement, and then you will go to prison, they will kill you out, kill you. And they will go, they'll put some charge, traitor, whatever, they'll kill you. Or you stay quiet in the system. Be the undercover believer now. Now you are working for the king has undercover to help his people out because I have put you in a place of... And that is Esther. She's an undercover operator for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. She's undercover. Nobody knows she's a Jew. Yep. The Jews' life are at stake. But God has his person, pinpoint person, right at the top. Mm-hmm. Right at the top. And nobody knows. Mordecai is the only one who knows. You know what? You are a Jew. And when they start killing, 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 finally when they track out, they will realize you are also Jew and you will also be killed. So this is your time. She says, fast and pray with me and I will try to intervene. And she very smartly does the whole thing because you have to use wisdom and discernment how you do it. Because if initially she had revealed she was Jew, the king would not have shown her favor. But she did it very, very, very smartly. That's why we have, we don't judge people like that because even till today, there are people within the system who have been asked like Esther to stay there mm. and do very, very wisely to help God's people out. They are there. They are behind the scenes. You won't know them, but they really help God's people. Even in India, there are people in the system who help. And they are undercover believers. And they do it very, very carefully. And we should not reveal their identities. Because when they reveal their identities, we harm them and we harm ourselves. Mm-hmm. So both are there. So when you're looking at accomplices, we have to Look at also how much information they had, how much influence he could have brought to bear. Okay, you look, you look at the people in the kingdom. If Joseph had not been in Egypt when famine came, he would not have been able to help. Mm. Okay, it was only towards the end of the story he reveals he's a Hebrew and it is brothers who have come. Though Hebrews were an abomination to the king. 
Okay, so you will see Moses was planted by God in the palace. It was God who planted him over there for 40 years mm-hmm. so that he would learn the ways of Egypt so that one day he could go and throw down that kingdom. But because he was in the palace, you need to realize, I have told this before, let us say an ambassador is appointed from one country to India or to U.S. Okay, You are appointed to India as an ambassador, let us say from Senegal. Though he's appointed, he's not officially the ambassador of Senegal to India until he presents what is called his credentials to the president of India. It's a ceremony. Mm. He comes, presents his credentials, and from that day, officially, he's the ambassador of Senegal to India. But sometimes it takes weeks and months for that day. So he's waiting in Delhi to meet the president. Mm. Because it's a, it's a day. You have to be, the appointment has to be fixed. In old days, it is Almost impossible to meet the king. Almost impossible to meet the king. Like even today, like uh, let us say the small country where I used to be in Bhutan, you have a monarch. You can't meet him. To get an appointment is impossible to meet. But the common citizen has one way out. If he has exhausted all the ways to justice and his only option is the king and he's not able to uh, meet the king, if he knows, people know which way the king goes. His vehicles will all go. If he knows the king is going on this particular road, he can stand by the road and raise the smoke. And the king will stop and ask him, what is your grievance? That is his last resort. When he sees the smoke, the king is supposed to stop because his subject has an issue. What I'm trying to tell you is it's impossible to meet the king. But Moses walked into the Pharaoh's presence. Why? Because they had studied together. They had grown up together. So God does things our own way. But he's not going to break the palace roof and drop Moses into the this thing. And he doesn't do stuff like that. He says, "I will do your way." Even when in Genesis 15, when they have to make a covenant, God says, "We will do it your way." My word is my word. My yes is yes. My no is no. But I understand. You don't understand me, but I understand you. So let us make the covenant your way. Your way. Okay. So he does it that way. He does. So we need to understand God does things that way. Mm-hmm. Joseph is not, um, dot at the age of 17. Joseph is not picked at the 17. At the 17 and a half, he doesn't become governor of Egypt. He has go through the process. Mm-hmm. The process is handpicked by God. First he goes to Potiphar's house, where he learns administration, because he is the captain of the prison, of the royal guard. It's a huge house. He goes through the process of learning how to run a huge, Egyptian household, the system, how it works. He's got uh, masters in business administration in Potiphar's palace. After that, he puts him in the prison. And it's a king's prison where all the courtiers who have gone Mm. against the king, they have come there. Now he's got another set of Mm -hmm. people who will teach him the ways of the palace, the different things of the palace. So God put him actually through 13 years of university three. education training, three. At free of cost. Yeah. He didn't have to pay anything. So you need to realize God also uses our systems to train us. Because you know what God is saying? that Because otherwise it's not fair. It's mm. not fair. He says, I will put you through the system, but you keep your eyes on me. So when you're talking about things over here, Will God be holding the citizens in those cities during the generation as passive accomplished towards as an immoral wicked rule during the time? Depends. What was their influence? What could they have done? 
like Pastor Vijay talks about Schindler's list. Schindler did something. He was a Jew. He did something. Ultimately, you two was executed. He yeah, was yeah, he was, yeah, he yeah. I mean, yeah, he he was, was taken as a prisoner of war and ultimately... Yeah, ultimately, him. right? So he was arrested. Yeah. And then you have Corrie Ten Boom. Mm-hmm. She also hid the Jews in a house. Ultimately, they found and she and her sisters died in the concentration, concentration camp. And she's the only one who came out alive. So there are people on every side who made a choice. Too. So it depends upon who you were, how much light you had, and what could you have done. See, one thing you can be absolutely be sure about, it will be the most just judgment, judgment mm-hmm. ever. It will be absolutely judged. Because that's why if you go to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 3 and 4. Mm. You will not judge by the same. Or if you put, let's read from verse 2 onwards. Two onwards, yes. two onwards. You have to look at what is how the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him mm. the spirit of wisdom understanding counsel might knowledge and the fear of the lord his delight is in the fear of the lord he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears words four but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his way. So you can be absolutely sure. The spirit of God before whom everything is there in his fullness will be upon him. And through the spirit he will judge every man. Their works, their thoughts, their deeds, their intentions, their weaknesses, the oppression that was upon them. How much of a free will they could actually exercise. He will take everything into consideration and make the judgment. And everybody will say that day, you are just. just. Yeah. You are just. So we don't have to fear about it. Pastor, but then it's also very important because God will also see your attitude towards his people. That will be yes. one of the parameters. To, again, uh, on, again, on again, again, what I'm saying is that attitudes of people are also, uh, are not uh, what you call voluntary. Like the attitude in, or the attitude of what is happening in Russia and outside Russia is depending upon what people are fed, okay, yeah. what you eat, what you become, what you hear is how you finally think. What if you are fed a particular diet and not have access to the rest of it? Okay, so if you are told, like if you are told, this is what the Jews are, this are the Jews are, they are out here to take over our country, and all those things are told and constantly, like in the Palestinian and these things, and the children are taught right from childhood to hate the Jews, and mm. the Jews are the oppressors. It is propaganda, and most of it is lies. Most of it is lies. Okay, so the same thing happens in this country everywhere, okay? Because, uh, so, then if you had only access to that and your mind was trained that way, you will have, um, God will show mercy to that person. The thing is that God also knows if this person had access to the right information, how he would have acted. Mm. So that's where we have to look at it. Look at it. So the simple thing is that, um, let me tell you, the simple thing to look at it is that, in a neutral situation where this propaganda does not matter, in a neutral situation, how would this man, how does this man react? Mm. How does this man react? I will, t- I will tell you the simple, mm. the mm. simple story Jesus says. There was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Mm. And he was beaten by thieves and he was lying on the road bleeding. That's a neutral situation. Mm. It's a neutral situation. It doesn't say who that man was. Mm. It's just a man in need of help. So it does not matter whether you are a Christian, 
or a Jew or a Hindu or a Muslim. You see a need. You have this propaganda against Christians in your head. This man has propaganda against Jews in your head. But this is not God to do that. Mm. This will show your heart. What are you to another human being? Mm. In a neutral situation. In a neutral situation. Mm. And God says everything. Everything. What are you in a neutral situation? You know? And that is what we are talking about. So all these things are there. Every parameter goes into it. Into Even those two people are going into the kingdom. People going into hell, everything will. We'll see what difference does it make. It does make a difference to people who go to hell. When people are being sentenced, found guilty, and next month, 15th, the verdict will come out. They're waiting for the verdict. It does make a difference if it's two years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 or life without parole. All these things make a difference. So when you're going into hell and it's a lake of fire, it makes a difference. Yes, you're going forever and ever. But is it 100 degrees or 200 degrees or 500 degrees or outer darkness? It does make a difference. Okay, It does make a difference. So God will decide. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So one more uh, question related to a, a country that is going through crisis. I think we should address that. Yes. And then we'll go to the personal questions. Okay. This is question number 14. <clears throat> uh, as we go through these evil days, we see a lot of things happening. I mean, what happened to the country just next to us, Sri Lanka. It can happen to us anytime too. And often in these situations, we have seen governments are of no help and even banks shut down. Yeah. In one of your messages, you said that inflation is also coming, so we need to be wise with our money. But in times such as these, when even banks shut down, how do we provide the basic needs for our family and for the church? Yes, Sri Lanka, the president has declared emergency, and the troops are on the streets. This is what will happen. Ultimately, when things and the rights begin, they will declare emergency, your civil rights are taken off, and you have the army on the roads. That's what has happened to Every nation when these things have come in. So, what do we do? What do we do? First and foremost, let me tell you is, we have to learn to walk with God. Mm. It's not enough hearing the word of God. Mm. You will not come through. You will not come through. Telling you. Why we spend so much time, practically every day of the week, exhorting people to come to God, know God, walk with God, is simply because it's only God who can take us through, whether it is war, whether it is famine, whether it is captivity. Because we have all these scenes in the Bible, all these scenes in the Bible. Mm. Okay? About famine. There was a question somebody else had asked me on famine. Let me see. I've written a couple of things. Yeah, famine. There are different kinds of famine. There's a natural famine. There are famine as because of the result of your enemies. There's a famine because of siege. There's famine as a result of judgment. In Genesis, the famines you see is basically a natural famine. Mm. God is allowing it. Okay. Then there is famine because of your enemies. Mm. Okay, they started, they come and burn your crops off and take it all off, like you see in the book of Judges. Then you see in Samaria there's a famine because the enemy of a siege. And then you see in David's case it is a famine because of judgment. So, but famine is famine. The, the effect of it in your stomach is the same. Okay, whatever the cause is. But the simple question is, when famine comes, the question you need to ask, if you are a child of God, is why is there famine? Why is there famine? 
Because if you do not know the cause, you do not know the answer. Hmm. Why is there famine? Okay. In David's case, when he went and asked, he said, Saul is the answer. He did it to the uh, Gibeonites. Gibeonites. So he calls the Gibeonites and they tell him, this is what we want. And when he gives them their answer, the famine is over. Okay. Though the Gibeonites again deceived him. That's a different thing. Hmm. Because that's what they are. They always will deceive you. Okay. Famine is over. In Abraham's case, he was a young believer in the promised land. When famine came, he buckled, he went into Egypt, he compromised. Okay, And that's a lesson we have to learn because when famine comes and you cannot buy and sell unless the government tells you what to do, you will take the mark. A different level. Final mark is a different thing. But different level, you will start compromising and giving into the pressure of the government. So Abraham's lesson is that be very careful. Don't rush when famine comes. Go back to the altar where you heard him first and ask God, what should you do? In Jacob's case, what happens? He's in famine. Okay, when famine comes. Okay, God uses all that for a different reason. But the fact is that when famine comes, he sends his sons to Egypt. His sons to Egypt. He does not have a solution. Only in Isaac's case, we realize there is a solution. The solution Isaac receives is that, don't go. The solution comes, not what he did. That's a different thing altogether. God may ask us to do different things, not exactly what Isaac did. But the simple thing, he heard from God. Mm. He heard from God. In summary, as case, there was one man, a prophet, who heard from God. That is the key. We have to learn to hear from God in our particular situations. Sometimes God will say, do. Sometimes God will say, just be still. I will come through. Whole of Israel is going through famine. But Elijah is eating. Elijah is the only man in the entire place who does not have to worry about his provision. The provision is coming to him during famine because, one, he's been obedient to the voice mm. of God yes. and he's at the place where God mm. wants to be. So all these lessons are there. But then practically coming over to this, a practical question to this is that, what can you do? It's very See, we are not billionaires or millionaires like in Western countries where they have made their bunkers and they have stocked their water and food which will last them for years, even if a nuclear holocaust comes. They have done it all because they have the money. We are not asked to do that. We are not asked to do that. But as much as you can, you should always. Okay, One of the things which we tell people is one, today, at least now, cash is still accepted. Always keep some cash at home. Hmm. Cash at home. One of the ways is keep cash at home, which can at least last you 30 days. Hmm. 30 days. Okay? And uh, always have provision in your... When you know the times are coming in, it's good to have provision. Okay? See, also learn, like Paul, to live in abundance and in lack. Hmm. Always. That's why fasting is a good thing. Fasting is a discipline. When these days comes, if you do not know what fasting is, you will struggle. Hunger will make you compromise. The problem is not hunger. The problem is what hunger has caused people to do. The worst case scenario you see in the Bible is what hunger can cause you to do where mothers were eating their children. That is exactly the danger of it. You can go mad with hunger. You can kill for hunger. Okay, so one of the first things as a believer, that's why Jesus does not say if you fast, he says when you fast. Why do we fast? Because we have to tame hunger. Because hunger is a very, very dangerous thing. 
very, very dangerous thing because people have done unbelievable things, even in the word of God and even in human history, they have done unbelievable things when hunger bites. Okay, they will eat anything, they will kill anybody, they will do anything. So therefore God says, my people, one, don't worry about it. Two, learn to fast. So you have all from when in the good times, like I said, many things are like, remember Joseph's dream? Many things are learned during good times. There are seasons of plenty. When we have plenty of food, that is when you should learn to have fast. fast. Exactly. The other one is the enforced fast. <laughs> you have no choice in it. Mm-hmm. But when you have a choice in it, mm-hmm. when nice. you fast, mm-hmm. what is basically is here, your belly is not your God. Mm-hmm. Your will, you have used your will to bring control over the senses. That's one of the things you need to do. Second thing, do not fear death. You have to come back to that. At the end of everything is death. If you don't have food, what will happen at the end of it? You will die. die. If you fall sick, if you do not get well, at the end of it you feel die. If you have an accident, if it's bad, at the end of it you die. die. If there are riots and you get caught in the riots, at the end of it you <laughs> die. At the end of everything is ultimately yes. death. But if you are not afraid of death, and the only way you cannot be afraid of death is being absolutely sure, I am in Christ. And Christ cannot be killed. He is risen. That's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, you shall not die. Even if you die, you shall live. So, again, you need to realize, it is not what famine is that is scary. If nobody dies out of famine, nobody will be afraid of famine. Mm. If God did a miracle today, everybody who gets sick will become stronger and smarter. Then nobody is afraid of sickness. (laughs) Right? Nobody is afraid of sickness anymore. We are all afraid of certain things because at the end of it we see loss and ultimately the loss of life. So Jesus comes and deals with that. Directly Directly Mm. deals Mm. with that. Mm. And he says, you know what? Death has been taken care of. You don't have to fear. And ultimately when you die and rise up, the last enemy, death also will be thrown into the lake of fire. Because it's a spirit. So you have to look at it all. But Mm. be practical. Mm. Be practical. The practical things is learn to fast in good times so you have a handle on your hunger. No, because handle of every hunger. <laughs> okay, some people have no issues with food; they have struggled with other things. Fasting is a weapon. Okay, but not just fasting alone. You have to pray. Fasting without prayer is dieting. Mm. Okay, it is not spiritual. It is not spiritual. Okay, it's not spiritual. Fasting plus prayer is spiritual. Plus teaching. You have to understand why you need to fast, how you need to fast. Then only it becomes spiritual. Only spiritual things have power in the in the spiritual realm. Physical, carnal things have no power in the uh, spiritual world. So only when it becomes spiritual, it has power. How do we provide for the basic needs for our family? Yes. We have to store, trust God. Trust God. The thing is that trust God. That is why faith, why do we, why, why do we keep on preaching, 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 preaching? It's because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Because mm. what happened to the woman in Samaria who had a son and she had only this much flour and little oil, enough to make two cakes of bread and they're going to eat and die. How did she live? How did she live? It's simply because she had faith. And faith was tested. When the prophet came and she was picking sticks, he said, will you give me a little water? 
what would be our immediate response if we were part of the situation? It hasn't rained here for months. There's no water in this place. A little water. Have you won me water? I can't give you water. But the first thing she says, she goes to get water. So she's not a miser. She's a generous, a poor, rich woman. The richness is not counted in God's kingdom by how much you have. Your richness is counted in God's kingdom by how much you give. It's never counted by... In God's kingdom, it is not Elon Musk and all who are rich. How do we know from scripture? He says, look at that poor widow who put her might. She put her everything. She's very rich in the kingdom. Absolutely rich in the kingdom. So that's how God looks. And she's a very generous woman. In a time of famine, drought, she's with... And when he is going to this thing, he says, get me some bread too. He doesn't ask for bread first. First he asks for water. And when she's going, he says, get me. She said, bread? This is all I have. We're going to make. And we're going to... He says, no, you shall not die. Bah. Shall not die. Make it and give it to me first. And you shall not die. Mm-hmm. It's not a very easy thing for a mother with a child who is starving to listen to the prophet. Okay, I believe you. I believe you. And she goes. She makes it. And she gives it to him. From that day... There is no famine in the house. Famine stops at her doorpost. That is what I am talking about. You have to hear from God. He will tell you. He will bring us through. See, you, can, you have. When you, see, we, we use these statements as flippantly. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and mm-hmm. forever. What does it mean? Yesterday, Jesus is the one who intervened in the widow in Samaria. He's the same. So you are a widow in Samaria in India, and you are going through this. You need to say, Lord, I believe you will take care. He will take care of me. You know, and, and God has the same God. He has intervened in history. And you have to have that consistent faith. And faith has works. Faith without works is dead. So the works of the woman that showed her faith was genuine is one, she went to get water. Two, when he said, make the bread and give it to me, she did. And then the bin, the flour rose wow. and the oil rose. Okay, and that's what happened. That is where hearing is so important and people shouldn't panic. Believers should not panic. Should not panic. And we should go to the book of Amos and look at it and say, look at, look like Joseph. Joseph is a pract- Amos, uh, uh, famine, the hearing of the word, famine of hearing of the word. Yeah, just go over there. Uh, no, not this one. No, 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 not that, not that one. Famine of the hearing of the word. Amos 3 only. Amos 8-11. Got it? Look at it. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Okay? So this is the worst. This is the worst famine. We cannot hear the voice of God and cannot hear the word of God. And you have plenty of food. You will die as a glutton. And go to hell. On the other hand, if you have learned to hear the voice of God, and when the other famine comes, God will make a way for you through it. Hmm. Okay, make a way for through that's it. Okay, that's the principle. Hmm. This is the most important. You want to survive during plenty or lack, you need to hear the voice of God. You have to learn to hear from God. Otherwise, during plenty, you will die with the food coming out of your nostrils. Okay. Or during famine, you will die because of your famine. Okay. But in famine, 
that is not what God is talking about. He says, during that season, there will be my people who will bring out of their granary their plenty. That is Joseph. Well, Joseph is not just eating. He's feeding the nations during famine. Simply because he has heard from God what to do during the seasons of plenty. plenty. That's why you keep telling, these are your young days, these are the seasons of plenty. You've got plenty of time on your hands. Mm. All spiritual disciplines are practiced during this time. Not when the bad time comes. When famine hits, you cannot fast and pray. Because you don't even know what fasting and prayer is. When there is plenty, you fast and pray. So that when famine hits, you automatically move into that slot. You are ready. You are ready. Yes, Pastor Vijay? Amen. <clears throat> There's some very personal questions. Mm. But practically speaking, at least when you see the signs of everything, at least keep one month's ration, simple rations in your house. Oil to last a month. If you are in Indian, rice or wheat, whatever you eat for a month. And we and need a little chili powder. No? So put that, yeah, and at least one gas cylinder. <laughs> okay, because if you are living in the city, gas is the issue. It's a shortage of gas too. They're not telling you that. Shortage. Sometimes you tell you, even how you use your gas, you have to be very, very careful now. The shortage of gas too. Price cylinder of rice has gone up by 350 rupees. It's 1,350 if I'm right, a cylinder. I mean, others abroad won't understand it, but that's too much for an Indian family to afford. So you have to use your gas very, very carefully. Everything is going up. Inflation will start hitting everything. And if there is a gas shortage, then you have to be very, very wise that your first cylinder should not finish before your second cylinder is come into the house. Okay. All these things keep in mind because you're not living in the countryside where you can use firewood. Like if I were to be back in my home in Kerala, it's not a problem for us because the house that is locked, we have two kitchens. One is for gas, one is for firewood. <laughs> There's plenty of firewood. Every day it keeps on falling. Nobody uses it. Yeah. When my mother was there, half the food was cooked on the fireplace. And the only <laughs> other the half in, is on the gas. So the gas lasts for months together. Because we don't need gas. The gas goes, it doesn't bother us at all. That's why we were, I was on the Nepali meeting. I had one of the pastors who had come from the northeast. So out there in the mountains, it doesn't, in Nepal and all inside, it doesn't bother them. They don't have electricity, many places. Electricity comes maybe once in 15 hours or something. They don't even know when it comes and goes because they all have this solar panel. They only need the solar panel for a light like this. They don't need, need a fridge because it is cold. They don't need vegetables. They all grow outside. They don't need rice because they have paddy fields out over there. <laughs> okay. They don't need gas. They all cook on firewood. So they are not even connected to the system, the grid. Wow. The danger is in the cities. cities yeah. Power goes, no water, no food, <laughs> nothing. Everything goes. Forget power goes. Let internet go for 30 minutes. Everybody starts calculating. <laughs> you can forget. You cannot live without internet. <laughs> Okay, so that is the agenda of the enemy to hurt all the people in the into cities. the cities. Yes, cities yes. are dangerous. Cities are dangerous. Because the system controls everything. Countryside, deep in the countryside and all. You don't face these kind of problems. Okay, Telangana, this side and all, summer, water scarcity, but in the mountains and all, no. It is never an issue. I remember in my childhood, I lived in one little town. That whole year, when my father was posted there, we did not have electricity in that town. 
in all the years of my life, in my memory bank, that was the best year of my life. <laughs> Not to have electricity. Early morning and early morning. Yeah. And we go to have kerosene lamps. We go sleep early. We wake up early in the morning. It was fun. No pipe to water. Nothing. Wow. No gas. Nothing. Absolutely. We don't even think life was so easy and so interesting. Lived what we call close to nature. We still dreamed those dreams. <laughs> One day. But be practical. Okay. Keep if you have children and all. Keep like for us. That's when we are here. I was telling my yesterday. I said, you know what? We got so many kids to take care of, and people just see you. I told Sammy also, right? Sammy, book the cylinders. See that we have stock because we just don't have to feed two mouths. We have many, many mouths to feed, many, many mouths to feed, and to teach people who handle that stewardship is the most difficult thing. Use your gas carefully. Use your gas carefully because you know this is what matters. Stewardship matters. Where you are accountable to the king and the kingdom. Because if you are not a good steward, all you have to say is, ma, gas finished. That's all. Because it doesn't bother you. The headache is somebody else's, right? And then we have to run around looking for a cylinder if the gas does not come over there. But if you are a good steward, you need to realize, I am accountable for that. So you know what? I am to be a very, very careful steward of how I use the gas. How I use oil, Indians oil. The wow. price of cooking oil has gone short wow. through this. Really? But we have to have our oil floating on our food. I don't know whether they eat or swim in it. I don't understand. But you know what? You have to learn to cook with very little oil because one mm. thing oil is not healthy. Second, God is teaching us all these things. Now, if you have trained yourself to use half a liter of oil when another person uses one liter of oil, in a week. You know how much money you have saved? Wow. Yep. How much money you have saved? Okay. You know, all the young men who are doing who on his new bikes, which gives you 30 kilometers per liter. <laughs> and the other man who goes in his old hero Honda, which gives him 80 kilometers per liter. Who is wise? Right. <laughs> Remember our old ad? I don't know whether you believe. Fill it, shut it, forget, forget it. it. <laughs> forget <laughs> it. <laughs> no, it was a good bike. It didn't give you that racing feeling or anything. But you could go from here to Warangal on one and a half liters. Now, this is how you think, because you're always thinking times will not change, the gas will be always there, no prices will not go up, no. This is the good times you make good decisions, you make good decisions, you make those decisions because you're telling God, I'm a good steward of your resources, you can trust me. You wow. can trust me. Amen. Because on that day, he will say you are faithful in little things. Little things. You'll be faithful in little things. I will put you in. in don't ever think because you're in your kitchen alone, God is not watching. Hmm. God is not watching. He'll say nobody is watching. But God says, I'm watching. I'm watching. How you handle resources, hmm. God is watching. Okay. All these things matter. Every little thing matters. How you use your bike, how you take care of it, how you give it regularly for servicing. It will run for years yes. and years. and all. Everything. Your clothes. How you handle your clothes. Everything. What is happens? Even if we don't, in our lifetime, we don't hit famine, there's another day where God will say, you're a good steward. Wow. Because one of the fundamental issues in the kingdom of God, leave the world, is waste. Is waste. And God is not a God of waste. Otherwise, after feeding all the people, why would you tell them, pick up the fragments? Yep. Pick up, who would pick up fragments? Who 
could pick up fragments. Everybody is full and they're not even low. They just pick up the fragments, all the broken pieces, and they get 12 baskets full. They say, take it. This is a fundamental essence you need here. This is a God of all creation. He can multiply, continue multiplying till the day he goes. So, but he says, pick up the fragments. I have to teach you lessons. Be good stewards. Good, good, good stewards of God's resources. You know what? Then when famine comes, you do not have to worry. Amen. Because like Hezekiah, you can turn to God and say, Lord, you have seen me how I have walked. Sometimes God says, give me a strong reasons. Mm. I say 42, right? Yes. He says, give me a strong reasons. Yeah. You're crying out to me. Give me a strong reasons. Give me a strong reason. Why should I answer? Why should I answer? Mm. Give me a strong reasons. Hezekiah gives him very strong reasons. God tells Isaiah, go back, eat humble pie, and tell him I changed my mind. Add 15 years to his life. Very strong reasons God gave. He gave God. Okay? So when famine comes, when you grow to God, okay, either you can fall upon him for mercy, which we always do. After that, you can give him God strong reasons. Lord, you know how I handle money. Lord, you know how I handle resources. Lord, you know how I handle people. You know, Lord, my testimony is before you. Now I am in trouble. I trust you will come through for me. Okay. Present your case, says the Lord, Isaiah 41, 21. Mm-hmm. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. He says present. No, in crisis we should be able to, able to say. That's what Hezekiah did. God said, tell him to put his house in order. He's going to die. I mean, who'd ever question that when a prophet like Isaiah comes and tells you? He says, okay, I'm done, I'm finished. He <laughs> says, write my will, come call the courtiers, write my will. This I leave to my daughters and everything. If you get my tomb ready, that's not what he does. He turns to the wall and he starts crying. And he says, Lord, you know how I walked before you. You know how I walked before you. You know my righteousness. You know I have walked before you. Why do you want to take my life early? Let's just go back and add 15 years to his life. He presented his strong reasons. And that's what we are talking about. When you go through situations, not in the beginning, after a season of walking with God, you should be able to say, you know what? Your reasons does not upset God. Even when the young rich ruler came and fell on, he said, Lord, what do I need to earn eternal life? He says, keep the commandment. He says, I have kept it from my childhood. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Bible says he loved him. He's giving very good reasons. Loved him. He says, you know what? You're good. You got only one thing, block. Sell everything and follow me. <laughs> Sell everything and follow me. Imagine if he had done that. He would have replaced Judas. It's a call to an apostleship. Oh. He should have made history. Wow. He turned around and walked away. And God will pick another rich young man called Apostle, Apostle Paul, Paul and add him to the kingdom. He left everything and followed God. He was another young he rich, rich man. Yeah. He's a rich man. Young rich man. His yeah. father had ships and ships, everything. Yeah. He's a rich man. He left everything and followed Jesus. Because another rich young man, who was also blameless according to the law, law. this man also was blameless, blameless according, according to the law. Strong reasons. Okay, so we have to look at it. So that's what gives us our confidence. Mm. Okay, mercy is yes. Mercy is a part of it. We always need mercy. But what about the other side where we have learned to walk by faith and in the righteousness of God? You are able to say, you know, you are able to stand before God and say, Lord, I present my case before you. I have obeyed your voice. Where I did not, I understand. But I have, you know my testimony, Lord. I have walked before you in the integrity of my heart. Even Satan acknowledges. God tells Satan, look at my servant Job. Is there anybody like him? 
So anybody like it? Okay. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Yeah, even his accusation is based upon his assumption that he is doing, but he is not a, there is no strong case against yeah. him. Yeah, because he say, okay, you put blessed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Say, if you bless somebody, everybody will be good. That means all the rich people should be good people. Pastor, <laughs> yes, some very personal questions, Pastor. Uh, again, because you talked about fasting. Mm-hmm. This is question number 15 on fasting. Pastor, I believe fasting is a way to humble ourselves before God. I have fasted for many days. And also is trying to exercise self-control and build dis- discipline, not only spiritually, but also physically. But many times on certain days I have fallen due to sin in the middle of my fasting period. This happens to me not regularly, but on a certain day I feel angry and I get projections in my mind. Pastor, how can I deliver myself completely from this and hate sin? I want to serve God if he wills and gives me opportunity. I don't want to lose the blessing. What should I do? Could, uh, what should I do? Could you help me? What does surrender completely to God mean? Could you please advise? See, surrender completely to God. Let's go from the last sentence. Surrender completely to God is it's not one time. It's mm. not one time. It's daily. Because tomorrow is a new day. And tomorrow God will show things in my life and your life which we haven't surrendered. So surrender is progressive. Yes. Surrender is not progressive. Mm. Let us say here, okay, Roshan is here who works with the government. Okay, let us say Roshan works in the government. Let us say his salary is 30K. So when he surrenders completely, he surrenders himself, his family, and his 30K. I'm using just an illustration, 30K. Next month, his salary is 35K. Now he goes and surrenders 30K. He hasn't surrendered 35K. Hmm. 5K is remaining. Two years back, he surrendered his wife and one son. Two years later, he has to surrender wife, son, and a daughter. <laughs> There are so many things surrendered because there are so many things that are being added into our lives. And all those things. So surrendering completely is one time. Yes, Lord, here I come and surrender. But then surrender is also progressively. That's why Romans 12.1 says, offer your bodies as a living living sacrifice. sacrifice. The key is the word living sacrifice. Living means usually sacrifices are not living. They are dead. But in this case, God does not want dead sacrifice. He wants us to daily surrender ourselves. And he says the body, primarily the body, like like, uh, if I I ask, uh, Russian, can you give me 10 rupees? hundred rupees, or if I ask the Russian, give me your wallet. Mm. These are not the same. <laughs> and asking for hundred rupees, he takes his wallet and gives me hundred rupees. But if I say Russian, give me your wallet, then I'm asking for everything that is in the <laughs> wallet, not just the money, the ATM cards, the credit cards, whatever is there. I said, give me your wallet. So when God says, God, give me your body, in the body is everything else, the soul, the spirit, everything. And he says, give it daily. The body is the container. The body is he kind of give me your body when he says offer it as it. So it's a surrender is daily. So don't get upset you surrender today and tomorrow you don't feel like surrendered. Mm. Okay. You do it again. You do it again. Constantly you do it again. You have to do it every day of your life. You will have to do it because you have been given your free will. My free will when I surrendered is not taken away. Mm. Lord, I surrender to you. God says, okay, now you don't have any free will. I will control mm. you from today. No. Mm. Tomorrow I have to go back and surrender again. He says, your free will is always your free will. Otherwise, it's not free. <laughs> exactly. Mm. I said before you, life and death, choose. How do you choose if you have no free will? Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Do not eat from this tree. If this tree, if you eat, you shall surely die. How will they eat from the tree if they do not have free will? Mm. He doesn't say, if you try to pluck, your hand will fall off. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> if your hands are there, your free will is there. I'm telling you one thing, don't eat. If you eat, you will die. Meaning you can eat. Mm. Your free will is there. There's no barbed wire, electric fencing, nothing around. Your free will is there. But if you eat, I tell you, use your free will, which I have given to you, you will die. So the thing is that, first thing we need to realize, we have to daily surrender. Second thing is that, again, uh, sometimes deliverance is instantaneous. Instantaneous. Okay? Sometimes deliverance also can be progressive. Progress. You remember the blind man mm. who was not healed with one touch? Please. Okay, first time he was touched, he saw it like, well, thank God he's seeing something. Mm. He hadn't seen anything. Now he sees like trees. Mm. Okay, and then Jesus touches him again, and now he sees better. Okay, so sometimes deliverance can be progressive. Okay, it's like what he's telling the children of Israel. When you go into the land, I'll go before you. I will drive the nations, but little by little. Little bit. See, see, there is deliverance that is instantaneous, which is not a bad thing mm. if you know what to do after that. Because the problem is, Jesus talks about a case study about a deliverance that is instantaneous. The demon leaves. And when he comes back, he finds it clean because mm. he has left. He mm. finds it swept. But the problem is he finds it empty. Mm. The problem with people is not that when pastors pray, in churches, deliverance doesn't take place. Deliverance does take place, but they don't fill it. The enemy comes and says, wow, my house is clean and it's empty. Mm. You let me go. There's plenty of space now. I'll go get six of my friends too. I'll get them all here and we'll all live together in this house. The problem is it is empty. And that emptiness has to be filled mm. with the word of God, the presence of God. If you don't fill it, see, this is the way it's it's like that. Let's, let's, let's say... We talk about pollution, right? What is pollution? Do you see pollution? No. But you breathe it in, right? Breathe it in, okay. See, it's impossible for you not to breathe. Okay. If there is carbon monoxide over here, you hold your nose for how long? <laughs> you yeah. hold your nose, you will die. Mm. If you breathe in, you will die. Okay. Either way, you will die. Okay. Because you're always breathing in. So the thing is that, your soul and your spirit is like that. If it is not the Holy Spirit, it will be some other spirit. Oh. Keep on breathing. Hmm. If, hmm. if you don't replace the demons, which are spiritual, out with the Spirit of God, one, the Spirit. Second, if you don't get rid of an idea which is demonic and replace hmm. it with an idea that is demonic, there is no vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum and your soul will not accept a vacuum. Okay, this has to be taken out and has to be replaced. Today we saw in the morning message, it is not flee youthful lust. No, pursue righteousness and peace and love. With whom? With like-minded people. You have to, one without the other does not work. One is the deliverance. Two is you did not do so, the fellow comes back and he says, wow, clean. Okay. I will go get some others. Flee. Also youthful lust. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. You have to pursue them. Who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay. That's basically, we give you that option. Okay. Option online or offline. 
If you are free, you are welcome to join us every morning. 9 to 10.30 we are there. We worship, we teach, we pray. You join in. Your mind is not getting empty. There's something Absolutely. that is taking place. There's something that is taking place, consistently taking place. The soul is soaking it in. The spirit is soaking it in. It's like breathing. Can you see it? No. But you're breathing something in. Your mind is changing. You don't realize it. You cannot sin like before because conviction comes in because the word is going. Yes. Yes. It's yes. going. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. You know what is right. You know, you know better, better, better because mm. something is happening in your soul. And in your spirit. So the option is given. But each one have to choose. Each one. But when you don't do that, your mind is not also not a vacuum. Mm. Something else is getting in. Other spirits are influencing you. And you know what? You're going down the drain. Slowly going down, 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 down. So, when it comes to fasting, fasting has to be combined with prayer. Fasting has to be combined with prayer. You cannot have fasting. Fasting is a humbling of a soul. There are three, two other things, two or three things you have to combine with fasting. One, you have to be very sure what are you fasting for. Mm. We don't just fast like mainline churches do. This is Lent. Lent. What are you fasting for? Uh, 40 days before Jesus Christ. But what are you fasting? <laughs> okay, you're afflicting your soul, humbling, examining yourself. You mean you only examine 40 days of a year, after that you don't examine yourself. I'm not saying there's not anything per se wrong in that discipline, but it becomes just a religious ritual because I know many people who go off the bottle during those 40 days yeah. and the 41st day they are back <laughs> with vengeance. It's true. It's it is true. And before the 40 days begins, they drink with a vengeance. 40 days they are such a nice man and the 41st day the wife is miserable again. The only good thing in that fasting is that the wife waits every year for those 40 days of freedom for her. Because this man is off the drink. Bah, what a statement. Even in this city. Yes, yes. I know people. Yes, yes, yes. Those 40 days is her freedom. Azadi. The rest of it is prison house. So that is not what we are talking about. That's not liberty. That's, that is foolishness. Okay, but we are talking about you're fasting for liberty. Okay, mm-hmm. so you need to be very sure what you're fasting for. Two, you need the word. Fasting, word, prayer, yeah. all these things goes together. Okay? And then if you, I, if you need deliverance, you need to be tuned into some, 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 if you are not able to go to church, you need to be tuned into somebody so that who preaches deliverance. Because sometimes you cannot deliver yourself. Yes. You cannot deliver yourself. Mm. You need somebody to deliver you. Delivery. And that's where you can trust the Spirit of God and say, Lord, would you lead me? Lead me. Help me, Lord. Lead me to the right person if you do not have in your city, because this question has come from another country. If you do not have in your city, then you tune in. Lord, help me. And God will help you. See, God is more interested in your deliverance than you yourself are. Okay? Because he's a father. He's more interested in the success of his children than the children themselves are. So he will. And the third thing, if you read, you read Isaiah, to the young man who wrote, read Isaiah 59. It's a huge chapter, Sammy. It's a huge chapter. Okay, but Isaiah 58 is a chapter on fasting. One of the things you need to do is that while you're fasting, praying, and listening to the word of God, 
word that preaches deliverance, you also look around and to see who you can help. Mm. The practical side of fasting, you are trying to help somebody. Mm. Because he who refreshes others mm. will be refreshed themselves. themselves. Look around. Now, one of the simple ways to do it is, let us say, Mahindra is fasting lunch. And usually he eats out. Let us say, I'm just giving an example. And he looks, you know what, I have my place where I eat for 50 rupees. I don't know, do you get anything for 50 rupees today? I don't know. You'll get, right, something. Let us say he eats for 50 rupees. I don't know, I haven't eaten out, so I have no clue what you eat for 50 rupees. <laughs> okay. So 50 rupees. So he decides he's going to fast for seven days. So how much is he saving? 350 rupees. He decides to invest that 350 rupees to feed the beggars for one week. And God sees that. Because the principle in the book of Isaac, he says, I see you. You are meeting somebody's hunger. That is where that man needed deliverance. You need deliverance in another area because you delivered him there. I will deliver you here. Mm. Okay. I will deliver you. What is so? What is so? You will reap. Mm. You have to do that part of it. A lot of people miss out on that part mm. of it. But these are, these are all in the scripture. These are all in the scripture. So if you do these things along with it, whatever all, cry out, cry to, cry to God for deliverance, you will receive deliverance. He will deliver you and never quit. Never quit. Yes? Pastor Vijay? Yes, Pastor. That's another very important question related to marriage. Okay. It's the same, I think the same person has asked. Okay. Uh, Pastor, I... It's an interesting question. Yeah, I like yes. that. Question. This is question number 16. Pastor, I attend Bible study with a group of people who are from different countries. We share prayer points to pray for each other in every Bible study we attend together. Recently, I shared with my group about the pressure coming from parents about my marriage. So I asked them to pray for me about this marriage situation. My group, my group asked me a question about arranged marriage. They asked me if it is a cultural thing in my country. And I also have been asked few times by few believers about culture. Pastor, I believe when we believe in Christ Jesus, there is no such thing as culture. And I also believe that when we enter the kingdom of God, there won't be such a thing as culture. Pastor, please advise me on this and can you please give me a scripture, give me scripture as I want to be able to tell them and show scripture when people ask me about culture. Okay. Culture, culture, culture is a huge, huge, huge word because we cannot say there is in culture, depend upon what culture, which we act, part of culture we accept and we do not accept. Okay. Let me, let me tell you the example. How culture affects our life. Somebody who is from US or Australia, they're all watching in these countries. When they look at me and they say, oh, he's dressed funny. So this part of a culture. Yes. Somebody who does not understand by, ch by chance from Pakistan, listen, watching me will think, hey, look at him. Is he Muslim? Because this is something which more like yeah. Muslims say. Okay, Pathans wear it. Okay. Mm. Now I am neither Pathan nor Western. I'm a Christian. But clothes are associated to culture. Music is associated to culture. Like we can have Different kinds of music and song to worship God. Well, the songs are not same. The culture comes into it. Absolutely. Mm. The culture comes into it. Okay? And sometimes when people look, let, let us say we have a hymn in Carnatic music. Nobody except those who love Carnatic music would enjoy it. Okay. Because it's very cultural. 
but the, the, the lyrics of it could be very, very powerful. Mm. Very, very powerful. Or in Hindustani music. Or rap. All kinds. See, these are all part of culture. Clothes is part of culture. Music is part of culture. Literature is part of culture. Food is part of culture. So culture is a huge, 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 huge word. The only thing in the kingdom, we do not demean one with the other. We don't demean culture. But what has happened is that in the 20th, 21st century, what has happened is that now we have the Bible and we have what is called the biblical culture. There's a confusion that has happened because in the last 150 years, 200 years, because Christianity was spread primarily by the Western culture, the Western people, let us say the Anglo-Saxons. They were the primary vessels, okay? I have no issues with the white man. No issues with the white man. Let us say there are five people sitting over here. One, two, three, four, five, six people sitting over here. Let us say uh, Sami is from Africa. Roshan is from India. Mahendra is from China. Um, Gopi is from Middle East. Okay? It's like different, different countries. Okay? The gospel went to Africa. The gospel came to India. The gospel went to China. I think Andrew went to China. The gospel went everywhere. But who took it? The white man took it and ran with it. Mm. So why do you blame him? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is why the white man is the most prosperous man on earth because he took the gospel which was given to everybody at the same time. Mm. Everybody at the same time it was given. All the others rejected it. Or they hid it. The white man took it and he ran with it. Until today, even though the Anglo, the Caucasian, whatever you call it, right? Caucasian. Caucasian population is the smallest. If you actually look in terms of numbers, they are the smallest group. They are not the largest. They are the smallest group. But they are the most rich and the most powerful group in the world. You know why? Because the forefathers... Received the gospel. Received the gospel. While the others rejected it and fought it. So you don't look at the white man. But what you don't blame the white man for his prosperity. Hmm. Okay. But the other side of it is you need to understand about it is that then after the reformation all took it, Western civilization came in. The Western civilization is not Christian. It went back to pre-Christian era to the Roman and the Greek age. Yeah. Now here what is happening is we're confusing westernization to Christianity. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Mm. So, so many of these questions the people are asking has got nothing to do with Christianity. It has got to do with Western assumptions. It's got to do with Western assumptions. Now let me look at give me the answer because this is cost about okay. Let us say in India. In India. Or Saudi. Or Iran, or Iraq, or any of these cases, nobody would ask, "Oh, your sister arranged marriage." It's accepted. It is accepted. This norm about like two people find each other, they date each other, and then they get married without without anybody's permission is a Western assumption. It's not a biblical assumption. It's not a biblical assumption. Yeah. Hmm. If you read the entire Bible, there's only one love marriage. Rachel. It's Jacob and Rachel. And the Bible does not look at it with favor. Yep. God is not saying love marriage is wrong. Hmm. 
because God's Christ's marriage with His church yes, is it's it's a it's it's a it's a love marriage, but it's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of love. The problem is, you know what? The world has moved Westernization, not Christianity. Westernization has made us all into a very very individualistic culture. It's me, mine, myself. The old culture wasn't that. It was a society. It was a society. You always thought about your home, your household, your society. So you don't do anything that messes up your society. Yes, yes. It yes. will bring and mess up you. So you're not thinking about yourself. You're always putting the other ahead. So when Israel becomes a nation and the laws are given, laws of marriage are given very strong laws of marriage are given and you will see all the marriages in the Bible are societal marriages, where it's Abraham or Isaac or Moses or David, all if you look at it. And whenever they went out of it, you will realize they brought mess into the society. Solomon's wives brought a mess into the society. And you will also see, okay, marriages were built on the community. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Why is it 50 years ago you hardly saw any divorces in India? Why is it 50 years later there is divorces all over? Because there is no society to hold you together. Wow. Yep. My parents had issues in the marriage. They would never think of a divorce. No, because the society would never allowed. accept divorce. Mm. Never accept divorce. To say no, no. Today society accepts divorce because culture has changed. It has changed. Mm. Culture has changed. So we need to understand. Okay, if you turn with me to Exodus, right? 22 mm. and verse 16 and 17. 16 and 17. Exodus. If a man, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of the virgin. What does mm. it say? The father had the right. say. Yeah. Father decided who his daughter was marrying. Even in First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul, yeah. Paul says the father is the one who decides his wife, yeah. his, the marriage yeah. of his daughter. Just, just thing, you know. So mm. the culture never changed. The father decided, but yeah. basically, when he's talking about the father, because you see, when you when uh, when a young person decides to get married, what is he saying? Oh, I love her so much. When the father, or I love him so much. When the father looks, he says, "Can you take care of my daughter?" The first thing the father will ask is that, I mean, typical questions father will ask is, okay, oh, you like a boy, okay. Uh, what is his family like? What does his father do? What does his mother do? What does his grandfather do? What does his grandmother do? You know why? Because culture matters. I know what values the boy has if you look at his father and his grandfather. Mm. He's looking at the security of his daughter. Yes. He's not looking at anything else. Because as a father, he says, you know what? I want your life to be secure. Mm. Love does not make it secure. Values make it secure. Mm. If love is according to the values, then it becomes secure. Okay. Then he says, how much has the boy studied? What is, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. If your daughter is educated, you don't want him to, her to marry an uneducated man because you will not be able to fellowship. Let us say you are a postgraduate. What does he do? No, he's class 10 pass. But I love him very much. So I will say, no. I know it will not work out. 
Don't look at the rare exceptional cases where I'd worked out has the norm. He's looking at security. He's looking at the security of his children. All these things matter. Okay. Then he will look at, okay, uh, oh, where are you? Okay. He says, uh, where is he from? No, he's from Scandinavia. But you are Indian. He's Scandinavia. What is there below? Okay, honey, let me tell you what will happen. You have grown up with Indian culture. Your taste buds is Indian. His taste buds is Scandinavian. Ultimately, you have to eat every day. And your problems in your marriage will start. I'm talking about where the kingdom is not involved. When the kingdom comes, everything gets overruled. Because there is a cause bigger than your own life yes. and your marriage. Therefore, you are willing to make sacrifices. I am talking about normal where the kingdom does not come. Don't come and tell me all of your kingdom marriage people. No, you are not. Okay. But I am talking about a normal situation. Then there is an issue. Because these are all daily issues. These, this kind of puppy love will not cover a multitude of sins. Okay? 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 There is a love that covers a multitude of sins. That is a love from, from heaven that is towards God and is sacrificial. So all these issues will come up. Issues will come up. Okay. In the other, other side of the coin to parents today, let us say, okay, let us say, Mahinder went to Britain to study. And he was there for 10 years, 15 years he studied. Now he's 20, let us say 28 years old. And he comes back. And his parents says, we want to get you married off. We have a good proposal from here. Now, if his parents were to come here and talk to me, I said, I said, don't try to find him a girl from India. Because his mind and his culture has changed. You don't realize your son has changed. He doesn't think like an Indian anymore. He thinks like a British. He doesn't eat like a British Indian anymore. He eats like a British. His taste buds has changed. Everything has changed. His outlook has changed. His perception has changed. You know what? He marries his girl and takes her there. She will be a misfit. She will make his life miserable. Yep. Absolutely true. You need to find a girl for him who will fit in with him there. Okay? So marriage was... People don't even understand. Mm -hmm. There is... This, per se, there is nothing wrong in love marriages. But that is not the biblical model. The biblical model is not that. The first thing that comes is not love. You shall not be yoked to an unbeliever. The first thing that comes together is faith Rape. and not love. Oh, so true. It's not love. It is faith. Mm. Do not be. Second, not equal, e unequally, meaning it should be equal yoke. It is when the second, go to that verse. First, second Corinthians chapter 6. This is Okay. Do not you see. Okay. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? What is the first rule of marriage? You have heard many times. Fellowship. God said it is not good for Adam to be alone. First law of marriage is fellowship. So the first thing over here is fellowship. Now, if you want to rewrite it in English by using the word equal, then you have to say be equally yoked together with a believer. That would be the actual statement to the church. Exactly. Be equally yoked with a believer. Meaning even the believer you marry should be equally to you. Be meaning, 
If your husband, the man you love and want to marry, is in spirituality in class 10, and you're a girl in spirituality is postgraduate, how does he lead you? Because he is the head. He is the head. Yes. He is the head. How does he lead you? This is one of the major issues, even in our churches, I believe. Because the men, the women are in so many ways more spiritual than men. More spiritual than men. I'm not saying in all cases. In many cases, the women are more spiritual. In some cases, the men are more spiritual. But it is better that the men, or it is the ideal norm where the men are more spiritual and the woman it is not. And if she is submissive, there is no issue. She just has to follow. But if the man is not spiritual and the woman is, it's a terrible thing for her. After the first honeymoon, love has faded, real, reality strikes. And you realize, my husband is not interested in prayer. He's not interested in Bible study. He's not really interested in God. Sunday will wake up and come to church, but he will not spiritually lead the home. Now you are caught in a bind. One, submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. And the head of the man is Christ. But the problem is you are submitting to a man who has no head. We need to realize when the Bible talks about it, it is looking long term. How will your marriage go? So you don't just get randomly married. Randomly married. Let me tell you in Corinthians chapter 7, there is one verse by which most young people have talked. They marry on that verse. That is in 7 beginning. It is better to marry than to burn. <laughs> That's the only reason. <laughs> Average young man you meet, the only reason they want to get married is because they want sex. That is also there in the scripture. But if that is not the only thing there is in the scripture. And the problem, a lot of people confuse lust with love. Because when lust is there, it is very, very powerful. And when lust has been satiated, remember Tamar, David's daughter? Scripture says he hated her more than with the love he had loved. Meaning, why do people lose interest in their marriage so fast? It's because it was never love. It was never values. It was never the principles in the kingdom of God. Now, lust has been satiated. They are no longer interested. And God says, you know what? Who suffers? The woman suffers. Woman suffers. And that's where you have to be very, very careful about these things. Be very, very careful about these things. Look at another thing. which Look at what the Bible is talking about. Deuteronomy 22. Again, verses 13 onwards. Let us read. If any man takes a wife and goes, okay, has, and, and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife and he detests her. And now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. Yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take that man and punish him. Do you understand the law? No. The law was for protection. And virginity was highly regarded in the culture. Regarded in the culture. Especially 
for the book. We will talk about what about the man. That's not the point. Like we say in English, motherhood is a certainty. Fatherhood is an assumption. It's an assumption. So the virginity of the woman was more important than the virginity of the man because of who the child would be. Why do you think eunuchs were made to keep control of the king's harem, that no man ever slept with anyone of that woman after the king had slept with her because that child could become a king and some man's child could become the king. So the eunuchs were the only ones who would protect the harem because they do not, cannot have sex. That's why eunuchs were in very high position in God's, in the kingdoms. So these are not small things in the culture. In this culture, when you bring love down and put this culture and the biblical principles outside, virginity goes out of the window, girls sleep with everybody, boys sleep with everybody, marriage is in shambles, everything is gone, and then you come and talk. There is no values. There is no values over here. You have to go back to Bible to understand what is the culture of marriage, why it is so important. And we all came like that from the world. Spiritually speaking, and that's why Paul says, you know what, I'm trying to remake you into a pure virgin to give into Christ, because even Christ is looking for a virgin, not somebody who slept to the world. Idolatry, what is idolatry? Idolatry is taking your spirit and becoming one with the world, and God is cleansing and sanctifying, cleansing and sanctifying, making us a pure virgin, untouched, cleansed completely, and offer us back to Christ as a pure virgin. These are rules of marriage. And in the Western world, because they have taken Western values, which are not Christian values. Christian, like I keep telling you, no religion has come from the West. Every religion has come from the East. Mm. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. Every religion is from the East. West has produced no religion. West has only produced ideologies. Mm. No religions. And therefore, sometimes you confuse what is happening in the West as Christianity. Christianity is not a Western product. Christianity is an Eastern product. But when you come to Christ over there, what is Christ looking for? What is Christ looking for? So the question of the young man who is living in the West, who is living in the West, and is an Indian man, and he's discussing his marriage issue with the crowd over there, they don't understand. Arrange marriage? But arranged marriage in the Bible, I would say if you, I still remember in 1986 or 85 in my college, we used to have these uh, debates once a month for the college. And that debate that week was love marriage versus arranged marriage. I had never seen the auditorium packed like that. It was jam-packed. Packed. Practically every student in the <laughs> college was there. All the girls were there. Love marriage. Okay. You know what? Deep inside, everybody is for love marriage. So finally, after that, this thing, one guy spoke on arranged marriage, the other guy spoke on love marriage, very passionate, everything. After the debate was over, when the moderator says, how many of you are for arranged marriage? How many are for love marriage? You know what? All the girls put up their hands for arranged marriage. Nobody put up their hands for love marriage. Even if they wanted love marriage, they won't put up because they know the society won't accept it. So they, everybody wanted to pretend they are very conservative. <laughs> okay. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, 
<laughs> Our take was that what is the best marriage? It is the arranged love marriage. Which is actually the right question. Arranged love marriage is the best, but I have a I have a very good statement to make. Okay. Okay. Another thing. Okay. If you wanna look, go to Deuteronomy twenty-five, verse five onwards. Go to the law. Understand the spirit. We don't follow the law. Understand the spirit of God. If there's a dispute between men and they come to the court, a uh, twenty-five, five, 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 five. Yeah, five, not one, five. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of his of Israel. Do you see that? Yeah. Where does the law of marriage go? This is the law in Israel. Why is the blood of Abel, righteous Abel, crying out? I have been cut out. Okay. I have no sons. Children. I have no children. Why was uh, Judah's sons struck dead by God? God found them so wicked because they refused to marry Tamar and give her a child of her husband was dead without bringing her. So don't get your picture from culture and movies. God has a different picture about marriage altogether. They were he struck Judah's sons dead. Struck Judah's son dead. This poor girl is looking because her husband is dead. Her son, her son has to go through that. And you know what? One of the sons is so wicked, so wicked that he will have sex with her but will have his emission outside so that she does not conceive and God struck him dead in his thought. In his thought. Okay. Because God looks at all these things differently. So don't get the, the culture in. Look into the word of God and say, Lord, you know what? I will value marriage the way you value marriage. And if you are a young girl listening, Lord, Lord, I will value my virginity. Ass, okay. If you are a young man, the same way I will value, okay. Because today it's a very, very difficult world. It's a very, very difficult world. Marriages are in shambles. You know why? Because the young people who get married, young people who get married, have come from a world of porn, and they see their women as objects. They don't see them as persons. And the problem is people who have come through porn. The issue with that is that no, they are no longer satisfied with the format of sex which God has ordained because they have tasted something which is not real. <coughs> it is real, which is not real. So they are not, and there's no unity of the person. Sex is more spiritual even as it is physical. Mm. And there is no oneness. There is no oneness. The two shall become one. Already they are two. They are not one at all in their thinking. They are anything. They are two. And they try to become one. It does not last. It does not last. So all these things matter in a marriage. And God is trying to protect our marriage. Not to harm our mm. marriage. He's trying to protect and make it lasting. Protect and make it lasting. Okay. So when you go, and then you, okay. So you look at God's system, okay. And uh, Jacob is one of those rare. If you go to the book of Genesis, okay. God has a different take on Jacob's marriage. Hmm. Verse 31. Uh, um, 30. 
29:30 sorry 29:30 Jacob lay with Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and he worked for Laban another 7 years when Lord saw that Leah was not loved God sees God sees Okay two wrongs don't make a right Yes Laban tricked Jacob Laban tricked Jacob. Question is, all the men sitting over here, if you were tricked, if you were in Jacob's place and you were tricked by your father-in-law, and you woke up in the morning and find out you were married to Leah, if the amount of word you know now, what would you do? I will tell you what I would do. I would not marry Rachel. Stay with her. Yes. I'll not marry Rachel. I'll stick with Leah. Strictly, Rachel can marry somebody else, but Leah, I have already married to her. The covenant has started, and I will learn and trust God that He will give me the love for Leah. Leah is a victim there. That's why God opens her womb. Okay, so you need to understand God does not look at stuff like the way we look. Mm. Okay, so when we read about marriages in the Bible, whether it is Boaz or Ruth, Joseph and Mary, these are not love marriages. These are not love marriages, but they are lovely marriages. Hallelujah! They are not love marriages. Please don't misunderstand that uh, I am saying that, no, because what happens primarily. With love marriages, which are the ones which usually break, arranged marriages very rarely break, because in arranged marriages there are no unrealistic expectations. In love marriages, most of the expectations are unrealistic because it is not based on reason; it is based on emotions. emotions. Yes. You think your man is the perfect man, you think your girl is the perfect girl, and once you get married, two weeks later you realize, you know what? She ain't what I thought, and he ain't what I thought. But your expectations were in the first place unrealistic. Hmm. In arranged marriage, those expectations are there. It is always a discovery. Oh, he's like that. Oh, she's like that. And you learn to grow with it. You learn to grow with it. You learn to grow. I'm talking about the arranged, believing marriage where there is love. Okay, you learn to love that person. You learn to pass. So what happens is that in so many, so many, like in our old marriages, we have, we have, uh, we have counselled. There is no perfect man. There is no perfect woman. There is only the right man and the right woman. Yes. He is. You're married. He's the right man for <clears> you. <throat> are you married? She's the right woman for you. There's no perfect man. You are the right. You are married. You have entered into a covenant. Now get to understand each other and grow. Understand biblical principles. It's very very simple biblical principles. If a man does not lead. His family, the way God has ordained, deep inside the believing girl, she cannot honor him. She has to honor him, but she's looking for something to honor. You know who you honor? You honor leaders. Absolutely. In any system, you honor leaders. You don't honor followers. Exactly. You love followers, but you honor leaders. The man is called to be a leader. 
ஒருவர்ஸ் when they see the purity and the reverence of your life so deep inside when you are a believing man what does he look for in his wife he looks for reverence your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and wearing of gold and silver and fine clothes come further down it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is of great worth in god's sight so if you are a man kingdom man and growing up as a kingdom man you know what that's what you're looking in your looking for in your wife and if she is not that you struggle so i have to i have to tell couples you know what it's not that you don't love each other it's that you don't like each other <laughs> don't like each other you don't like your husband because he doesn't lead you don't like your wife because she's so not submissive she doesn't submit and it is it's the right thing because that's the way you were remade when you got born again it's the spirit of god does not like unsubmissive women and the spirit of god in the woman does not like men who don't lead oh. so there is a conflict which is a natural kingdom conflict and the conflict can be resolved only when each one understand and say i will follow the lead of the holy spirit amen let me tell you young men who are sitting over here most of you young men are not married here okay all only except for one there's nobody who is married over here once you get married let us say mahender marries the cutest girl he found in life okay a week after marriage you won't remember her looks all you will know is who she is either you like her or you won't like her well you're not walking with a looks you're walking with a person if the person is not nice it doesn't matter how good looking she is mm. you will struggle in your marriage wow. that's what people don't understand don't understand okay mm. beauty is beauty and charm what does the proverb have to say it is charm is deceitful beauty is vain but the one who fears yes. the lord she is to be praised what beauty is vain beauty is vain charm is deceitful and people don't realize this is truth and these truths don't change and women don't realize this is what if you are a believing woman this is what your husband is looking for be quiet be silent don't fight and what is a man looking for that what is a woman looking for the longing for a man who loves her and gives himself for her and he how does he make himself for her he makes her decisions and carries it out he makes a decision he takes to her decision says okay what is not he just makes the decisions himself it's not that he makes the decisions and takes the responsibility and carries it out you are a leader that way yeah. you are a leader jesus is a leader he is an absolute leader he makes the decision for his church and he lays his life down for his church today men make only decisions but they don't lay down their lives they don't live their lives okay so you need to realize this is basically what happens you need to understand this in a christian marriage when a married when a man marries a woman 
all her burdens become your burden. All her burdens become, become your burden. That does not mean all his burdens become her burden. Mm, that doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. Yep, it's true. Even Jesus Christ is the same with us. <laughs> all. It's the same thing. All the burden of the church became Christ's burden. Christ's burden. burden becomes, no, oh. you have to be very, very sensitive for Christ to put his burden into yep, your heart. Yep, yep, absolutely. And it's the same thing, the same thing. Mm. Okay, that's even to my own wife, I say, don't take a decision. Don't take a decision without me knowing. Because when you take a decision, it becomes my burden. My burden. Mm. Okay. I, I honestly tell my child, I tell my wife, I said, you know what, I have no issues with the church. Burden-wise. My burden is what you brought into the church. That is LTD and LSL. I didn't bring it to the church. You brought it to the church. When you brought it, it became my burden. I cannot dissociate itself from myself. It became my burden. It became my burden. I will not say, oh, that is yours. It became my burden. So every beginning of the month, where does my head is over? It's not with the church. It's not with the church. It's with... Because Jesus is sitting there and interceding for himself. No, he's sitting there and interceding for the burden of his wife. So, women have to understand that. Women also have to understand that. If I start something, it becomes my husband's burden. And if that is not his burden, and that is not his call, I need to be very, very careful. In this case, it's a different thing. It started before. But what I'm saying is that every woman has to be very, very careful about it. Because that is the thing of leadership. Whether you like it or not, the burden falls on the man. Who ate the fruit? Eve. Whom did God ask? Adam. Okay. So, that is what you... So, marriage is not a simple thing. Marriage is not a simple thing. Okay. And even about having children. Okay, having children. When you are having children, you have to be very, very careful. Okay, it is easy to have children. It is difficult to maintain them. Yep. And therefore, men should be very, very careful. Because the burden of the children falls on the woman. Not on the man. Mm. It falls on the woman. So, don't say I am the head and you cannot deny myself. You need to ask your honey. You be sure. Do you want to have another baby? Can you handle another baby? Because most men are uncooperative when it comes to taking care of the baby. So the burden is a woman's. It's not a man's. Mm. I'm not saying it should not be the man's. Mm. But the man does not take responsibility for it. Mm. So all these things, which, so you have to look at the, look at marriage through the biblical perspective. Who carries the burden? Who carries the weight? So wherever the weight is carried by another person, you have to ask the other person, do you want this? Will you be able to handle it? If not, okay, we will go for something so that we don't have any more babies. I will take that. I always, I mean, whenever men have come to me and asked, what should I do? Should uh, my wife type? I said, no. Why do you want your wife to type the tubes? If you can, why don't you type your tubes? Mm. I'm just being open because a lot of people have these questions. Why don't you do it? I will, I, one of the reasons, as far as I understand, medically I may be wrong, 
Okay. Yes, it is easier to reverse a man's process than to reverse a woman's That's process. True. No, that is one thing, medical. Second thing is that I always say that who went to the cross, the church or the Christ? Christ. Christ. So whenever you have, when two people have a choice, you can do it and the wife heck also can do it. You do it. Be Christ-like. You do it. Be Christ-like. You do it. You go ahead and say, you know what, honey, you don't have to do it. I'll do it. I will do it. I will do it. Let's be open about it. These are things open. Okay, Open about it. In marriage, we have to be. How do you become Christ-like in your marriage bed? Okay, I don't want to do tie my tubes up. Okay, no. The woman will say, okay, shall I go on the pills? What will you tell your woman? No. No. No way. It will mess up your system, everything. So what do you do? So we'll use contraceptives, a man's contraceptive. The problem with the man's contraceptive is that it's a man who loses pleasure, not the woman. But I will sacrifice Mm. that for your sake Mm. so that I will show to you that I have not come to you for sex. I come to you because I love you. Mm. You don't... How did God know? Jacob did not love Rachel, um, did not Leah. He's even watching a bedroom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He knows who is the one who is. Because the very true nature of love is that love gives. Yes. Love gives. Even in your bedroom. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Mm. Are you a giver or a taker? If you are Christ-like, whether you are a man or a woman, you are a giver. Mm. Not first a taker. There is give and take in a marriage, but primarily you see yourself as a giver and not a taker. Everything touches marriage. So don't bring the Western culture or the Eastern culture. Go to the biblical culture. What does the kingdom talk about? Marriage. Let us go to because it's an important question with a lot of <laughs> questions. Okay. So in love marriage, what happens is that your expectations are unrealistic. And when those unrealistic expectations are not fulfilled, you justify your divorce by saying we are in, incompatible. What is the normal term used in? Irreconcilable. Irreconcilable, incompatible, differences. because you don't make me happy anymore. Arranged marriage, was there any expectation? No. Why is that? In the old days, arranged marriage did not end up unless the husband was drunkard and beating up and all kind of other junk happened. But normally, they hung in there because they looked at the future of the children and all that, okay? But now, what happens? You don't make me happy. I'm not anymore happy in my marriage, so I will go for a divorce. You see how the whole thing started falling apart, first in the Western culture, Mm. okay? I'm not saying Eastern culture was great, (laughs) but leave the issue. Why do you want to judge people who are in darkness? We judge people who are in the light, right? Then what happens is that cohabiting outside the marriage becomes acceptable because ultimately the goal of your marriage was happiness. Mm. You are not happy in your marriage, but I am able to be happy without a marriage. So the covenant has gone. This is how the breakdown takes place, step by step by step by step. Next step is that, okay, since it is about happiness... All the other things have gone out because love marriage is basically based on happiness. So personal self-fulfillment. Everything else is thrown out. Now, first, out of marriage, to living together without marriage, 
now my personal pursuit of ha- happiness same sex relationships are also okay because at the core it is personal happiness do you see the danger of the core danger of when you put love marriage on a platform that is how they justify you are happy in your relationship i am happy in my relationship ultimately you married for happiness right it is not about a covenant it is not about a cause it is not a covenant come come kingdom it is not about god it is not about the society it is not about any of these things it is about your personal happiness so when you come to your personal happiness it becomes narrow it becomes selfish and then everything starts falling apart falling apart i am not lifting up arranged marriage above whatever i am talking about kingdom marriages okay so how should kingdom marriages be simple seek ye first the kingdom of god amen hallelujah <laughs> and the wife will be added unto you yeah the, the wife shall be added unto you the husband shall be also added unto you okay okay so please remember embrace a christ centered marriage not a self centered marriage I like this statement. Shift your emphasis from marrying the person you love to loving the person you, you marry. Love that. What a statement. Okay. Change the emphasis from marrying the person you love to loving the person you marry. Okay? That's what marriage is. And if we marry, we should marry for the sake of God's kingdom. if you remain single we should remain single for the sake, for of, the sake of god's kingdom, kingdom. Mm. it's both there in the new covenant absolutely some have made in themselves eunuchs the meaning kingdom. remain single they did not castrate them so they remain single for the sake of the kingdom mm. in corinthians 7 others who got married or some got married it was it was not wrong it was for the kingdom's sake you put the kingdom over there first mm. even if you have a rough passage in your marriage it will all fall into place you know why because the rudder is in the hands of the king not in your hands okay a kingdom marriage is like noah's boat it has length it has breadth it has height there is no sail no rudder nothing it is a box why because its destiny is beyond this life Noah's boat is going nowhere why it's in God's hand it is meant for something else much bigger okay so kingdom marriages are like that kingdom marriages are like that so when people ask you about culture you need to tell them read corinthians 7 about marriage about marriage like i keep telling you in corinthians 7 the last one of the last verses the greatest concession we will make for marriage is for a widow widows all yeah. those days specially they have nobody to take care of them but even for the widow 39 mm-hmm. and 40 a woman is bound to husband as long as she loves but if her husband dies she is free to marry anyone she wishes but but he, he must belong to the lord kya hmm? baat not believe in the lord belong to the lord wow. believe in the lord and belong to the lord are two different things <laughs> I believe everyone in my church believes in the Lord. I believe very few belong to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. But Paul says, I also have the spirit of God. In my judgment she is happier if she stays as she is and think and I think I too have the spirit of God. Because if she is single she doesn't have to worry she can serve God with all her heart. 
all our heart. A lot of people did that. I'll show you a person. The, the most acclaimed person. Go to the gospel according to Luke. Luke. Mm. What a woman. Boy or oh boy. What Seven a woman. years from virginity. Mm. Seven years from virginity. 36. Chapter 2 verse 36. 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was a, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Yes. Seven years she got only married. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Let us say those days they got married at 16, 17, they got married. Let us say she got married at 16. Seven years later, how old is she? 22. Now she is 84. How long has she been a widow? widow? 62 years. What is she doing? She never leaves the temple. She is forever in the temple. Fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. That's what Paul is saying. I do have the spirit of God. You're a widow. You have a model in the Bible, Anna. You get married. Nothing wrong. All in the kingdom. He must belong to the Lord. He must belong to the Lord. Everything. Whether you're a man or a woman. This is the principle. So the culture we have is a kingdom culture. You know what? Your marriage will last. It will hit. Storms will become in your marriage. Everything. But you know why it will come through? Because it is kingdom focused. And therefore, the king will help you on the way. If it is world-focused, because love is an emotion, mostly. People don't even understand what love is because they have never read the authentic description of what love is in the Bible. So they have a world ideology about love. The What the world talks about is just an emotion. It's not true. It's just an emotion. And you know what? Emotions come and go. Come and go. What keeps the marriage is... It is a covenant. Yes, Pastor Vijay? So a young man, I hope you can refer him them to this question. Mm. And tell them the pastor who spoke has an American wife. Mm-hmm. So he's from the east, she's from the west. Kipling said the east and the west shall never meet, but they met. In Christ. In Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> to the they Lord met Lord. in Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, praise God. just one... Small tiny question before hmm? we finish. Oh, I didn't know so much time had gone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so when you're taking a decision, you're saying you make uh, as a head, you we have to make the decision. Mm. Now, how? Uh, so what? Where is where are the where is the room for um, common consensus? Right? Like we discuss an issue, and then the hu- the husband takes the lead and says, "Okay, this is my decision." And I'm so can you just give one practical example with? Where the husband is taking the lead, but there is a common consensus that you have come to, and then you are making uh, a decision. Where, or in what circumstances, such things are allowed, and where the husband has a unilateral say on a particular matter. Give me an example. Give now, me for, for example, finances. Let's say. Okay. I mean, that is where most of the issues, most of the, most most of the, of the issues, issues are there. Issues are there. So that is one of the. I mean, fundamentally, that is, I think, uh, the issue. again the issue. I mean, with modern days, it's a different thing. Okay, because people's mindset have changed. But technically, honestly, if you look in the culture-wise, old culture-wise, when I use culture, I'm not using Eastern West. I'm talking about usual culture. The woman is always concerned about the security of her home and her children. So when she makes financial decisions, she's always thinking in terms of security. Man is a risk taker. Man takes risks. Risks. Woman takes as less risk as possible. 
Okay. So you have to balance between these two. Okay. That is where it is so important. You cannot use reason here. You have to hear from God. Hmm. Biblical principles are all over. All kinds of principles are there which are biblical and good. But there are extraordinary situations where you will have to hear from God. Like, Rebecca is not there in the picture at all. But if you were to ask Rebecca, there is famine, what shall we do? She shall say, let's go to Egypt and conserve what we have. Hmm. But Isaac hears. Isaac is also going to Egypt. But Isaac is the one who hears from God, says, don't go, stay here. There is an actual hearing from God. But if you come, okay, if you go, if you go to Genesis, I'll tell you a fundamental thing which men and women, okay, have to get is this. Verse 18, Genesis 2 and verse 18. Before that, let us look at uh, 15 and then verse 18. 15. First 15. The Lord God took the man Put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So who is the one who is taken and instituted with the work? Man. man. And verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. Okay. I will make a helper suitable for him. So who is the woman? So helper. helper. You always have to ask this question. Who is helping whom? Who is helping whom? Kingdom agenda can go out of the out of the window, the man hence helping the woman. Instead of the woman helping the man. This is a, this is a fundamental principle right there in the beginning. So the man goes out to work. Even in a normal case, the man goes out to work. And how does she help him? She helps him by taking care of the home. And he takes care of the home by bringing primarily the provision into the home. You don't have to worry about it. It's on my hand. But wherever you need other help, I am there. So, he is the one who is walking and tending. She is the one who is helping in a completely different way. But she is the helpmate. She is not the mate. Mm. When you subvert that, the burden begins. The struggle begins. Because you always, everything God has an order. Everything God has an order. In God's order, God the Father is the head. And Christ follows him. And Christ goes, the Spirit comes. The Spirit exemplifies Jesus. He doesn't take over headship. Mm. He says, no, I will talk about the Son to you. Okay. Though all three are God. Okay. So we have to fundamentally understand. This is where the trouble comes. The trouble comes. Because now you are living in a time where both men and women work. And it's a mutual decision. You have to sit together and ask yourself, how are you going to work it out together? How are you going to work it out together? First, get fundamental principles of the Bible. Get what are your financial constraints. How are you going to work it out? How are you going to live it out? How are you going to handle your expenses? And all those things, you have to work it out. Sit together, work it out. And then decide if both are going to work. How long will you work? If you have kids, how is it going to affect the kids? Yeah. Because... We saw yesterday, Psalm 127. He's talking about, yeah, Psalm 127. Okay. Unless the Lord builds, the builds, unless the Lord watches. And then the third verse, he goes to the children. So what is he talking about? He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the home. Mm -hmm. Unless he builds the home and watches over the home, he says, your work is in vain. So he's a home man. God is a home man. So every decision you take, you have to ask, how will it affect the home? How will it affect the home? At your career. 
how will affect your home how will affect and in the home you need to ask who is the mate who is the helpmate because if the man loses the man becomes the helper then the kingdom stops in that house the kingdom stops in that house because the call of that man will not work anymore because he's divided mm he's divided it will become an issue it will become it will become a burden unless you can handle it without an issue otherwise no that's how it works everywhere that's how it works and what we have is that people don't realize see like i said if there are pollution in this air if i breathe in i won't even know it mm. but it's affecting my system yes right in the same way feminism is in the air and most women i know even in the church are half feminists or some more than half and they don't even know it is seeped into their psyche that's how they think they don't think biblically they don't think biblically they don't think biblically and most men also don't think biblically they don't like because they also have seeped in that ideology which has come from the west and they are also like Justin Trudeau and Biden and all pushing that agenda over there and without it realizing it and when you find a man who refuses to budge on those things you think that he is odd when he is the norm mm-hmm. and you find a woman who is not a feminist and who is actually gentle meek and submissive and goes along you think she is odd but she is the norm she is the norm okay we have to stick out like sore thumbs in a world that is absolutely contrary to the kingdom of god mm-hmm. contrary and when you make your decisions every decision is count the cost and i'm telling you most people i know never counted the cost when they started something they never counted. they never thought 10 years from now 15 years from now where will i be or even you young people the way you study the way you attend church the way you pray the way you listen to the word if i go this way 10 years from now when i'm on my own where will i be yes there is nobody around where will i be will i be able to stand to hear everything happening will i be able to stand? have you looked forward what do you have in your spirit deposited that will cause you to stand cause you to stand okay dependency is a terrible thing when you don't have deposited spiritual that's why jesus went to sleep in the boat and when the storm hit in spite of walking with him and ministering and watching everything when the storm hit and he is asleep they were found absolutely empty they couldn't do anything about it so they had to wake him up and when you wake him up his question is where is your faith <laughs> what did you learn so far yeah that was you were supposed to handle this right? you were supposed to handle i have taught you how to handle this okay so get marriage is a very very serious thing so when you make your decisions we are not taking unilateral decisions but when ultimately it is not a unrighteous decision but both people both parties are not able to agree it always goes with what the man decides when a man makes a decision he is responsible also for the for decision <laughs> you cannot just wash away sorry even the woman takes the decision you will tell the woman well you are responsible i will not be god says no if she takes the responsibility you will be still be held responsible for the decision right. i don't hold her responsible for the decision you will be held responsible decision because that's the order in my kingdom you cannot wash your hands of that i made it that way it will stay that way outside in the world it does not matter if you are in the kingdom she makes a decision you go with it you will be held responsible for her decision it is in the bible very clear 
you will be held responsible. Once you know that, the woman has to be very careful to say that, you know what, I'm not making any decisions. We will sit together, and if I'm not able to agree, you take the decision. Ultimately, the burden is on you in God's eyes. So why should I take a decision for you? <laughs> why should I take a decision for you? You know, that's how it happens. And people don't understand. Many of the conflicts in the home is because they, don't, they are not in kingdom order. Yeah. The kingdom order has not been established. And they're not thinking long term. They're not, Jesus said, sit down and count the cost. Count the cost. Sit down and count the cost. And especially in ministry. Anything that you do in ministry, anything that is direct, there are many things indirectly, anything that is directly connected with the kingdom of God, be very careful. Be very careful. Because you put your hand on the plow. You can't turn back. Don't turn back. That's it. Don't turn back. Your personal feelings, your personal things are irrelevant to the king. You put your hand. The day you sign your paperwork and join the army, once you have signed, your personal feelings are irrelevant to the army. You are in the army. Now you follow orders. Otherwise, don't join. Don't get into ministry. It's a free. You can yes, say yes or no. But once you put your hand in, don't turn back. Mm. Don't turn back. You come under immediately under the structure the structure and you stay within the structure and do things under the structure yes that is where like pastor vijay was talking about there were 11 disciples right 11 disciples on the way to garden of gethsemane let's say 11 judas is in there eight sit down he didn't even tell them watch and pray did he tell them watch and pray no so if your pastor says sit down sit down why? Because the pastor knows how much you are capable of in spiritual things. Do that. Do that. Why? Why can't I do that? Because I know in the spirit where you are. Stay there. Three of you sit there. You three watch and pray. It still he goes forward. You don't come along with me. Still here. You are not ready for this. Stay here. You are not ready for this. It still goes beyond. That's how the structure works. In the worship team. In every team. The prayer team. That's how it works. Why? Because anything that happens within the ambits of the church, you are not accountable. Yes. You're not accountable. You're not accountable. The pastor is. In the same way in a home, everything that happens in the home, the father is accountable. And if you are not willing to be accountable to the father, you can take your inheritance and you can leave. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, I don't want to be accountable to you. Father says, okay, I love you. You can leave. You can leave. This is it. You can leave. When he's coming back, actually, his confession is, I am coming back under your terms. Beyond that, I will go even higher than that. I will just be a servant. He says, come back. When you come back, the rules get in. Immediately the rules. Else it is not coming back. Otherwise, you are not coming back. It's not coming back. You have to understand that's how it works. Okay. And that is genuine love. That is not false love. That is actual genuine love. We have this feely, feely things about love. That is not love. That is feelings. Mm. Okay. It is the love of God that caused his son to die on the cross. It's not the law of God. <laughs> law said curse is the man who hangs on the tree. So why should he go on the tree? It's the love of God. Yes, exactly. Love is tough. Okay, love is tough. Stuff love. 
Okay, and you have to be biblically minded when you get into the church, personally, home-wise, church-wise. Mm. Then you go into the work world. You don't work like them. You work biblically. Amen. You give it your best shot, joyfully, cheerfully, as unto the Lord. And they have to see you are different. Amen. So you take the kingdom wherever you go. And that is what this young man was talking about. That is the kingdom culture. The kingdom permeates into everything. Your personal life, your marriage, your home, your workplace, everything. You are not a counselor. You love your work. Not because you like your work. You love your work because you love your employer. Mm. Not the one who is here, the one who is above. Because your ultimate reward is not your pension. Your ultimate reward is there when he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I saw you how you worked on earth. Enter into my joy and take charge of ten cities. I was watching you every day how you worked. Your boss was nasty. Your colleagues hated you because you were a Christian. But you worked cheerfully because you were working for me and not for them. You never forgot who your employer was. Now take charge. Hallelujah. That mm. is how promotion comes. Amen. Amen. Because every promotion on earth is temporary. Mm. Every reward given by the government can be taken back. <laughs> when God gives you something, even on earth, the Bible says it's irrevocable. The gifts and the callings. The gifts and the callings are irrevocable. You can lose it, but he doesn't take it back. He doesn't take it back. Everything, personal, home, marriage, church, everything seed in the ambit of the kingdom. And if you are a woman, follow. Don't lead. Don't lead. Follow. If you are a man, lead. Listen, but don't follow. Listen, don't follow. Okay? Because that is the danger of the last days. The spirit of Ahab and the spirit of Jezebel rules this world. The woman who leads, the weak man who follows. Don't be part of that prophecy. Stand against them like Elijah and says, no, if there is nobody to follow me, I will stand alone on the mountain with God, all alone. I can stand. I will stand alone. And that is the Elijah spirit also that is being poured out in the last days. You have to ask yourself, which camp do I follow? Which camp do I follow? Hmm. Only Elijah can bring revival and restoration. Only that spirit. It's not being nasty. It's not being rude. It's just being strong. Yes, yes, amen. Jesus was not nasty. He was not rude. He was gentle, kind, meek, lowly, loving, compassionate, but unbelievably strong. You could never push Jesus to step outside his father's will or ways. You couldn't. And everybody left him. He still went alone to the cross. Okay, that's a man. That's a man who will not be pushed. Yet he's the kindest man possible. And say, Lord, make me to the image of Christ Jesus. The woman is the bride. She says, Lord, I'll be meek and lowly. And my temperament is what makes my man love me. Not my face. Not my looks. Not my dressing. They're all additions. But if there is no temperament inside, the addition becomes subtraction. It doesn't matter how she looks like. But if that is there, it does not again matter what she looks like. Okay. Get this picture, young man. When you get married, don't judge the book by the cover. Okay, this is the most ugly looking cover. Mm-hmm. Inside is gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, inside is gold. That's why Rachel didn't reach Bethlehem. <laughs> 
Jacob never forgot Rachel. Rachel was not buried with Jacob. Leah was buried with Jacob. Even though Leah did not get Jacob in life, she got him in death. They were buried together in the same grave. Hallelujah. And she brought most of, Israel. most of Israel. Let me tell you one thing. Jesus does not come from Rachel. Mm. He comes from Leah, the unloved woman mm. from the tribe of Judah. He doesn't come from Rachel, the woman who was loved. Prophetically speaking, he comes from Judah, the woman who was unloved. God saw that she was unloved. And he said, you know what? You need a baby. Mm. Somebody you can love. You need a baby. So he gave her, gave her, and gave her. And gave her. I think she brought forth herself six babies. Six, yes. And a daughter also. Yes, one Dina yeah. also. Seven kids she brought forth. Six babies personally. Half of Israel was birthed by the woman who was unloved. Hmm. Half of Israel. I look at that and I realize, you know what? Leah's was an arranged marriage. Rachel's was a love marriage. And God saw he did not love Rachel. Love Leah. Literally. Leah's was an arranged marriage. Rachel's was a love marriage. And Rachel brought grief to Jacob. And she died on the way. She took her husband's idols. It doesn't say Leah took her father's idols. It says Rachel took her father's idols. You look at Rachel, there's nothing about Leah written over there. Nothing written about Rachel. You know, her expectations are very little. All she's looking for a husband and a few children. No expectations. Hoping at least my husband will love me. When she found her husband has no eyes for you. Rachel is, if you don't give me children, I will. It's not enough that I got you. I want my children also. I will die. I will kill myself. Look at that. So you look at love marriages and you look at arranged marriages. It's all there in the Bible. So the ideal marriages, the arranged love marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's loving the person you have married. And other thing is, be that person who can be loved. For a man, it's not love. It's honor. It's honor. Man wants honor. That's the way man was created. And be that honorable man who will lead. Who will lead. Woman wants love. Be that woman who cannot be loved. Who can be loved. That meek, quiet, says, here I am with you. I am with you. I am with you all the way. You lead, I follow. You say no, it's no. You say yes, it's yes. It's okay with me. I see you walking with God. And that's all I want. My security does not just come from what you bring home. My security comes from the fact that you're hearing from God. I'm absolutely secure with you because you hear and you make the decisions. That's a kingdom marriage. Be a man who hears from God. Amen? Amen. Yes, Pastor Vijay. We'll close with prayer. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you once again for speaking to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Father, it's not going to be easy for us to say Amen, but Lord, we say Amen because it's not in our power that we will be able to be what you want us to be. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I pray, Father, even as we have received your word, your counsel by faith, fill us with your spirit, O Lord, so that, Lord, that you can rot the character of Christ through every situation that we might go through, O Lord, Father. We thank you for all the counsel that we have received through this day, through this uh, session. I pray, Father, that, Lord, we will take it to heart, apply it in our lives, and, Lord, it will bear fruit in our lives, even a hundredfold. Once again, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this time. And even as we go back to our homes right now, I pray, Lord Jesus, your presence would go ahead of us. And, Lord, uh, 
Tomorrow morning, O Lord Father, I pray, Lord, you would grant us an opportunity to be in your house on time and prepare ourselves once again for your coming, O Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. 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 God bless you. See you tomorrow morning. The Lord tarries to come and it is Communion Sunday.